Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Johnston Community College in Smithfield, North Carolina, underwritten by Anchor, where everyone can make a podcast for free. What kind of takeaways do we have from this? What stood out to you as a takeaway? Automation is important. Finding ways to save time, money, effort, human effort. Like there was a lot of repetitious jobs that were making people question, do I want to do this over and over again all day long? And if they could find a ways to make the job less strenuous, that was a big value add to retention. There's a, it's incredibly expensive to hire somebody. Think if you get a job at most places, they're going to have a month to two month training period to teach you how to do what they want to do. How, how long was your training period at the furniture store? A month. month, yeah. So they're paying you with no productivity, basically, for that month. You know, you're just learning. A lot of jobs I've been to, it's been a four to six week, sometimes eight week training period. And so the, the number, this has been a while back, the number it was in 2002 when I was at Walmart, or 2005 when I was at Walmart, was um, $2,600 is how much it costs to hire somebody. Uh, that means every time you hire a new person, you're paying $2,600 in basically training to get that that associate ready to go. And so point being is that re- retention is, is incredibly advi- valuable. If you can retain that associate, if you can train that employee, that's somebody you're not going to have to retrain because when they leave, they take all that knowledge and skills and investment with them, and you're left having to repeat that process over again. And so what else, if anything, did you take from this presentation? Gets back to where we're. Anything? So, why a lot of you picked Domino's over Papa John's? Is there a reason why? Just flavor alone? Yeah. They do a good job marketing and they do a good job with their uh, price structure. Um, uh, we actually had Domino's last night and you could get three pizzas for like six fifty a piece. For one topping, yeah, that's a that's a pretty compelling. It's actually very close to being what you would pay for a frozen pizza, you know. So, yeah, that's. Uh, I, I really enjoyed little presentations like this to show you, kind of the back end of what goes into that production. So, there's a lot of steps involved to get you that six dollar and fifty cent pizza, you know, from the automation production stage, the packing, the picking, the picking, packing, the trucking, and then the unloading, and then the preparation. So. All right, so we started out on Tuesday with Chapter 6. I guess I need to back up to go back to the title card. But the title of the semester, entrepreneur, or the semester, the chapter was Entrepreneurship and Starting a Small Business. So what, if anything, do you remember from our conversation on Tuesday? What does entrepreneurship mean? What did we say that meant? Taking risks, yes. Why does it mean that? Correct. Yep, so you're investing time, talent, resources, money into this endeavor, and it may not work. In fact, the odds, I mean, I like to be honest with you guys, the odds are stacked against you that it will work. But there are tremendous companies that are started in garages, in basements, in households that end up being multi-billion dollar companies. Apple started in a, in a uh, garage. Uh, Jeff Bezos basically started in, in one room with his idea for uh, to sell books on the internet. So, yeah, and it became Amazon. 
And so just because you have an idea um, and you think, you know, there might be some challenges, it could be a big idea. That's one of the reasons I show you guys Shark Tank clips and clips like this to let you know that, you know, somebody had this idea and it really took off. Um, Firehouse Subs was two firefighters that really enjoyed the sub, you know, making subs for people. And it became a multi-hundred unit franchise now. So, all right, so let's talk about small business versus big business. Small businesses, and there's a lot of different definitions of a small business depending on which one you look at, but it's a business that is independently owned and operated, is not dominant in its field of operation, and meets certain standards of size set by the Small Business Administration in terms of employees or annual receipts. Uh, businesses are small in relation to other businesses in their industries. There are over 30 million small businesses in the United States. That's an incredible number, 30 million small businesses. Importance of small business, 65% of the nation's new jobs are in small businesses. More personal customer service, ability to respond quickly to opportunities. So to elaborate on this a little bit, how would you define a small business? How many people would work at a small business in your mind? How many? 100, 150, sure. What do you, what do you guys think? What's that? Yeah, it's, I mean, there's no exact number, but it could be four, five, ten people, or it could be 150 people could still be considered a small business. Um, so, you know, and it's hard, hard to wrap your mind around. If I'm, a, if I'm an entrepreneur and I've only got one helper, you know, and I'm running a small business, when I look at a multi-million dollar business over here that's got 150, 200 employees, but yet they're still considered a small business, there feels like a degree of difference there, but... Technically, they still fall under that definition. Um, what do you think they mean by more personal customer service? What do you think that means from small businesses? How do you think it means that they get more customer service? I feel like they just like, get more of a relationship with the customer being a small business. Right. Just like that in Jungle Gyms grocery store we talked about. I went to a small business today. It was, uh, it's called We Ship It. It's down on 3rd Street, not far from here. I walk in, the owner is sitting behind the counter, really nice, um, very personable, very helpful. And you can tell a degree of difference when it's the owner and they care about their business versus a franchise or corporate structure. You just feel a bit of difference. What about the ability to respond quickly to opportunities? What do you think that means? Right. So um, I got an email or a text from my, my wife while I go. If I could pull it up for you. And the, my wife was saying, can you believe they're doing this? And I'll show it to you. It's, it's actually under this thread right here. Uh, she sent me this. It was a Facebook ad from Build-A-Bear. Um, she said, it says, this is a match we can get behind. And they're selling a Taylor Swift uh kelsey football player set of bears you know and so yeah they're they're trying to capitalize on this relationship that taylor swift is having and uh this is an example of adaptability so, uh, build a bear even though it's a big brand it's still probably a relatively small business i mean there's probably just a few decision makers that are calling the shots on how this thing operates and they said okay this is hot in the news right now i want you to make me this setup and they got this done this week. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just saw Taylor at a football game on Sunday. And then on Thursday, we have an ad 
promoting a Taylor stuffed animal with a football player stuffed animal, you know. So that is an example of responding quickly. Um, <clears throat> and so anytime we have a cultural phenomenon where the market is shifting very quickly towards a specific set of products and services, you see these small businesses that are nimble that can, they can, they can redirect very quickly and go towards that. Uh, that is a big advantage of a small business. The problem they have though is that not too long after big business figures out how to adapt. And what they do when they adapt is they dominate. I actually watched a documentary this past weekend called The Pez Outlaw. Did, has anybody seen this on Netflix? It's actually a really good documentary. It's about this guy who was poor for a large chunk of his life. And then he started, um, he got into collecting those little toys that come in cereal boxes. You know what I'm talking about? But he, he was actually uh, sending off for hundreds of these things, the little cardboard, you know, send off for these things. And he would get them and sell them at conventions and things like this. And they actually stopped. They, they cut it down to only allow one per household. <clears throat> and so he realized that his, the, you know, his game was up. He couldn't do that anymore. So while he was at this, this convention, he saw somebody selling Pez dispensers. And uh, does anybody like Pez candy, by the way? Uh, I'm not a big fan either. But the dispensers themselves are highly collectible. And he saw these Pez dispensers and realized I, he had never seen any like this before. He said, hey, where did you get these Pez dispensers? And the person had brought them over from Europe. And at the time, Pez International was a separate unit from Pez USA. And they did not allow the same products in each set of countries. You know, USA made their own products that they thought would appeal to an American market. Pez International in Europe made their own brand and they didn't have that connection. Well, what the Pez Outlaw did is he would fly to Europe, go to the Pez factory and buy a bunch of these dispensers at wholesale, bring them back to the USA and sell them for a mint. And he made hundreds of thousands of dollars doing this. He made so much money that he, he was actually contacting the Pez factory in Europe to get them to make his own custom Pez dispensers that only he made and you could only get from him. Here's what happened. He sent, he sent off an order for $250,000 worth of Pez dispensers that he designed. He got them in, they blew up, started selling. What did Pez do? Pez actually went to the factory in Europe and said, we want you to make us these exact same designs and put them in the Pez branded uh, boxes. And they released them in the USA just to shut his business down because he was selling them for a, for a, a collector price. And once they, Pez, you know, started, USA started selling for $2 a piece, it killed the market for his exclusive Pez dispensers. And the guy basically went bankrupt because of that. So, but there is a great story there. And I didn't tell you the whole story. So if you decide to watch the Pez Outlaw, it is a really good story. But yeah, he saw an opportunity. He responded to it. But ultimately, big business stepped in and crushed him. So when Ron DeLula, Dog Midnight, had trouble catching a Frisbee due to his squinting, uh, she retrofitted sports goggles to fit his canine's face. Midnight became the hit of a dog park, and soon Delula was making pairs for all sorts of interested pet owners. Eventually, she contracted with the manufacturer and started a company called Doggles, which now earns $3 million a year selling goggles to doggy fashionistas, veterinary ophthalmologists, and even military canines. To me, that seems insane. You know, like... The idea of putting some type of goggles on a dog, but there's a market there for that, be it a niche market, but a market that calls for $3 million a year in sales. 
And how do you think Delula's doing now? Probably doing pretty good. You know, if you've got $3 million a year in revenue, even if 90% goes towards paying off all your bills, that's still a $300,000 salary at the end of the day. You know, so there's, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting opportunity. So that's, if you don't take anything else away from this class, you need to identify that there's opportunities all around you, even in stuff like this, because this solved a problem. And so do you think small business failures are lower or higher than is than's reported? This is just an opinion. What do you think? I think it's higher too. Why do you think that is? What repeat? You don't see a lot of companies going on? Does anybody else have an opinion on this? Why do you think small business failures might be higher than reported? Why do you think that might be? An easy answer to me is that people don't like to say, hey, my business went under, I failed. You know, like a lot of times businesses will just disappear into the background and you don't really find out what happened, you know. So it's kind of a mark of shame that, you know, owning a business is very much like having a family member because it's something that, it's an entity that needs attention, time, effort. And when that business dies, it's almost like losing a family member. In fact, if you talk to business owners that own a business for decades, you they have this hole in their life. They think, you know, I was watching a knob chopped over the weekend and this uh, woman who was a French, she was a French cook, she said her family had a French restaurant for something like 32 years. And because of rising prices and rising rents, they had to close their doors. And it, just the way she described it, it sounded like there was a hole in her life. And uh, so business is very much becomes a part of your identity. And I, I believe the reason why they don't report it as often is because they feel this shame and loss, you know, from that. Other comments on this particular topic? All right. So getting started in a small business, small business success and failures, about half do not last five years. Some reasons for failure are managerial incompetence. That's a big one. A lot of managers or business owners that get into it think they know everything. They're very confident right out of the gates. There's this um, psychological principle called Dunning-Kruger effect. Has anybody heard of this before? Dunning-Kruger basically means that uh, intelligent people are full of doubt because they realize they're smart enough to know that businesses fail. But ignorant people are full of confidence because they don't know their ignorance. So they don't know the, the things that could go wrong. And so they proceed confidently and blindly into destruction. And so Dunning-Kruger is a real thing. Uh, and that managerial incompetence gets people in trouble. They jump right into a business. They don't think about the tax consequences. They don't think about the, uh, the exit strategy. They find themselves in a bind, you know. They don't think, they don't plan. They don't, and, and most businesses don't have a business plan. We have a small business center here on campus. I actually had lunch with a group of uh, colleagues and, and Suzanne Ross, our small business center director, was, was with us. And uh, they help you walk through and create a business plan with that uh, organization. It's, it's for free. Inadequate financing, financial planning. Whatever amount of money that you think you need and you plan for, you probably need double. It is very expensive to run a business. Um, and all types of unforeseen costs can arise. Choosing the wrong type of business. Should, do you think it's wise to go into a business that you're passionate about? Why? Why do you think that's wise, Angel? Um, because that way you love what you're doing and, and in turn you have a sense that you feel good at what you do. That's, that's a good rationale. 
Everybody agree with that or disagree? What do you think? I'll say that what you said is partially true, but just because you're passionate about something may not mean the market is passionate about it. Businesses are finicky. Like, there was a comic book store in Goldsboro that I would go in occasionally. Uh, it's been years ago now. It's closed. And you would, it was right, I mean, like a couple hundred yards from the military base. You come out of the Seymour Johnson Air Force Base, there's a comic book store. This place has hundreds, if not thousands of soldiers. You would think comic books would be a draw, right? I mean, but when I walk in there, the owner kept his cat in there. And I'm, I'm not necessarily anti-cat, but there's also a litter box in there. So the comic book store did not smell good walking in there, number one. And it was very cluttered and disorganized. And so while the idea of a comic book store may have been viable, I don't think the owner really was competent enough to keep it up. You know, I think they made some bad business decisions. Um, if it was just a really clean coffee shop model that had hot beverages, places to sit, peripherals to read, I think that might have been a bigger hit. But um, they, they, didn't, they didn't want to go that direction. So, um, But, yeah, choosing the wrong type of business, just because you love it doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be a market for it. I have a friend that went to, he loved the idea of um, dressing up cars and doing um, tinting on windows. And that's what he's done with his life. He's a professional window tinter, and he makes a kill on doing it. I mean, he, you know, his friends and all his buddies do window tinting and stuff, and uh, that's a passion, and it's worked out very well for him. So the, the, the question you need to ask is, if it's my passion and I love it, do other, are other people going to respond to it? So famous businesses, failures, and comebacks. Tommy Hilfiger, first store went bankrupt. Milton Hershey, first confectionery failed. Heinz, company went bankrupt six years after the start. Walt Disney, the first film company, went bankrupt. Henry Ford, the first two car companies failed. L.L. Bean almost went bankrupt in the first year. So, yeah, it's actually really easy to go bankrupt. <laughs> um, you, can, you can have a great business idea, a great location, great product and service, and the money runs out before the customers connect with your product or service. It does happen pretty frequently. So, the following are some causes of small business failure. Just to, I'm going to kind of run through this kind of quickly. Plunging in without first testing the waters on a small scale. Yeah, um, you may think you have the best insert whatever cooked item it is. I would definitely want to test that with people first and get honest feedback. Hey, if I give you, if, you know, we're doing samples today of our product. Will you give me some feedback on it just, just to try this out, you know? I think that would be extremely valuable before I committed tens of thousands of dollars or something. Underpricing or overpricing goods or services. Underestimating how much time it will take to build a market. Starting with too little capital. Starting with too much capital and being careless in its use. Oh, man, there's a great uh, series on Apple TV called We Crashed. The guy who's, that was in this, Adam Newman, he started a real estate uh, company where they bought all, big office spaces and turned them into WeWorks. And the guy had billions of dollars thrown at him. And they burned, they, just, they were setting money on fire, just, just spending, spending, spending. And it was just, it was careless, very careless. Going into business with little or no experience and without first learning something about the industry or market. Borrowing money without planning just how and when to pay it back. Attempting to do too much business with too little capital. Not allowing for setbacks and unexpected expenses. Buying too much on credit. Extending credit too freely, meaning that people owe you and they may not pay you back. Uh, expanding credit too rapidly. 
failing to keep complete accurate records so that owners um, drift into trouble without realizing it, carrying habits of personal uh, extravag extravagance into the business. There's a great um, docudrama on HBO about uh, Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. Once her business got funded, she was spending millions of dollars on all these extravagances that she really should, should not have done. Uh, not understanding business cycles, forgetting about taxes, insurance, and other costs of doing business. That's why I harp on taxes. Mistakingly, uh, mistaking the freedom of being in business for oneself, for the liberty to work or not, according to whim. Yeah, you see some early success. Hey, I've worked hard, so I'm going to take a month off. Yeah. When you come back from that month vacation, you find that everything is destroyed. So you have to stay vigilant. You can't, you can't slack off. So some, some reasons that increase the chance of small business success are uh, the customer requires a lot of personal attention, as in a salon. The product is not easily made by mass production techniques, meaning that it takes your skill set to do it. Sales are not large enough to appeal to a large firm, like a novelty shop. The neighborhood is not attractive because of crime or poverty. This provides a unique opportunity for small grocery stores and laundries. That's questionable. A large business sells a franchise operation to local buyers. Don't forget franchising is an excellent way to enter the world of, of small business. And I'll talk about that in a second. Owner pays attention to new competitors and the business is in a growth industry, computer services or web design. So franchise, we're gonna talk about that more and more in this class, but basically when you buy a franchise, you're buying a proven system of business. Meaning, if I go buy a Subway franchise, I can very easily know what my expected sales are gonna be this year, next year, five years, uh, what my cost of goods are gonna be, what my cost of labor is gonna be. They've got literally thousands of examples of stores that have been op in operation and can share that data with me. Um, so learn from others. This is a, this is a proverb. Um, don't, don't make the mistakes yourself. Learn from other people's mistakes. Um, if I was going into a franchise operation, I would want to talk to probably two or three dozen franchisees and get, I'd want to do interviews. Say, can I interview? I'm thinking about going into franchise business. Can I interview you and you give me some feedback? Let me take you out to lunch and ask you some questions. I'd want to find out why did you do it? Do you have any regrets? What mistakes did you make? Did you, what, what do you wish you knew now or then versus now? These are the kind of questions I want to get to the heart of before I commit, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to go into a franchise and years of time and effort and heartache. So um, take classes on small business and entrepreneurship. Talk to uh, and work for successful local entrepreneurs. Uh, get some experience. Gain three years experience in the field. Start a part-time small business. Take over a successful firm. Serve as an apprentice and eventually take over once the owner steps down. Yeah, if uh, there's a lot of talk in business about food trucks. Has anybody ever thought about opening a food truck or know somebody who runs a food truck? What's your experience, Logan? Does he run it or own it? Okay. Okay. Got you. Well, has he ever worked on a food truck before? No, but he's an Okay, so he's worked in the food industry, yeah. If I was going to do a food truck, I'd want to go hang out around a bunch of food trucks and talk to them and introduce myself and try to get to know the owners of those food trucks and find out the good, the bad, the ugly. What happens when you buy $2,000 worth of food 
and your sales that day is only 500 bucks. How do you cope with that? That's a $1,500 potential loss. I mean, these are questions I want to know the answer to, you know, I mean, I, I've considered it, you know, I don't have the time to commit to it right now, but I can see me at, one, at some point maybe doing that. But I would want to do something where I had a prescribed amount of plates per day. We're only going to make like one to 200 plates. That's all we're going to sell. Once we sell out, we're good, we're done. Something like that, you know, I don't know. So um, any questions or comments on any of this so far? All right, so experience leading to success. Sharon Anderson, this is another example. Sharon Anderson Wright spent her teenage years sorting novels, nonfiction, and newspaper at her family's used bookstore. She knew what her customers liked to read and worked closely with her mother to learn the fine details of the business. This experience served her well as she ex uh, expanded Half Price Books into a national company, earning $240 million in annual revenue. How do you think Wright's experience helped the business succeed? Yep, she, she, turned, she took the time to learn the business. She saw the opportunity. Books aren't going away. Does anybody still buy books? Some people, maybe, okay. I buy books all the time. Uh, I don't read all the books I buy, but. <laughs> there you go, yeah, yeah. Um, I use thrift books on eBay a lot. Um, you can get like three or four books for 20 bucks or 15 bucks, so. But yeah, growing up in this environment, taught her what she needed to know to take the next step. 240 million a year in annual revenue, that's incredible. So should you stay or should you go? Suppose you've worked for two years in a company and you see signs that it's beginning to falter. You and a co-owner have ideas about how to make a company like your bosses succeed. Rather than share your ideas with your boss, you and your friend are considering quitting your job and starting your own company together. Should you approach other co-workers about working for your new venture? Will you try to lure your old boss's customers to your own business? What are your alternatives? What are the consequences of each alternative? What is the most ethical choice? What do you think about this scenario? Is there an ethical dilemma here? I know we've talked about that this semester. Is there an ethical dilemma of going out and starting your own business? What do you think? Why do you think that? Sure. What if there's no compete? There's a there is no non-compete clause, meaning that there's nothing preventing you from going to start your own. Like there's nothing legal about preventing you to start your own business, but you still see there's an ethical dilemma there. Okay. Okay. Other comments on this? Do you, does anybody else think there's an ethical dilemma, or do you think it's perfectly fine to open up your own thing and compete? What do you think, Diamond? You're still in someone else's idea, yeah. You know, I see. I see both sides of this. That's why it's an ethical dilemma. When Microsoft was in Microsoft first started, Bill Gates, they were contracted by Apple to develop a uh, what's what I want to call it um, operating system. I know it took me so long to grab it. So Microsoft contracted by Apple to develop an operating system. Both. Apple and Microsoft um, had contacts with Xerox and Xerox would have them in as potential contractors and they actually stole the idea for what's called a graphic user interface, a GUI. They stole the idea from Windows from Xerox and, uh, and started developing it. Apple did this. Well, they brought Microsoft as a consultant to help develop it well, what Microsoft did was steal it from Apple 
and actually patented it and brought it to market ahead of uh, ahead of uh, Apple. So Microsoft ended up taking off and dominating. And you can't almost you can't buy a PC today without Microsoft products on it. Windows and Apple faltered for years. They almost went bankrupt, and it took a long time for them to come back. But now Apple's a very dominant company. But uh, there was definitely some ethical dilemmas in there. Do you think that it was unethical for, I guess, uh, Bill Gates to steal that from Apple and, and, and bring that to market first? What do you guys think? Was it unethical? It wasn't illegal because there was no, there, they, they brought it to market first. You know, there's nothing illegal about it. But it was definitely questionable, questionable ethics, right? But in business, um, there's, there's this book called Art of War by Sun Tzu. Has anybody heard of this? In business, we talk about art of war because, you know, all's fair and love and war. In business, is kind of like war. It's you're competing to dominate the market. You're always fighting for that that market share. And so, uh, anybody ever go to Zach's Char Grill down the street where they sell hamburgers and hot dogs? It's right past that hot dog stand I told you about crickets. Anyway, every day that somebody goes out to eat. There's, there's only so many people that are going to go out to eat, and every one of those restaurants are competing to try to get your dollars. And so they want to, you know, they don't cheer necessarily when one of their competitors goes out of business, but that means that's one less competitor that they have to compete against. And so there's more opportunity for them to capture your dollars. And so it is kind of like war. They, they use that analogy a lot in business. So business plans, preparing a business plan. It's a detailed written statement that describes the nature of the business, the target market, the advantages the business will have in relation to competition, and the resources and qualifications of the owners. Forces potential owners to be specific about what they will, be, uh, what they will offer. It's mandatory for talking with bankers or investors. You've got to have a business plan in place to be taken seriously if you're going to show this to a bank, a potential lender, a partner, businesses, and things like that, or banks. Um, and it really helps. The biggest beneficiary of a business plan is the owner themselves. They can really be objective and say, this is what I'd like to do. I'm putting it on paper. It's a plan. They can show it to other people and get them to evaluate. What do you think? Is this a good plan? Is this viable? Should I even do this? If you spend a year researching a business, a year researching it and put a plan together, and at the end of which you learn that this is not a good idea, I think there's value in that. Why is that good to spend a year researching and not to do it? Why do you think that's a good idea? You just saved many more years of your life and who knows how much money going into a business that you learned would not work. All of you guys have taken science classes, right? Have any of you guys done a science experiment before? Right, in science we have a hypothesis, correct? The hypothesis is what you test. And that hypothesis that you test, you learn one of two things. Does it work or does it not work, right? Business should be thought of the same way. We have a hypothesis. I think this would be a viable business. I'm going to put together a plan to see if it's a viable business. I might even test it. And if it doesn't work, at least I know it doesn't work, I might could revise the plan and test a new hypothesis. And if I do it in a scientific way, business science, then uh, I basically am saving myself the pain of having to test it without the knowledge on the front end. Because if I jump into market with something that's not going to work, like the other example, what if I think I have the best sandwich on earth, but everybody else thinks it sucks? You know, like I think this sandwich tastes awesome. 
Everybody else, it doesn't work for them. You know, peanut butter and pimento. I might think that's incredible. Everybody else thinks, what the heck is this guy doing? Peanut butter and pimento. I don't get it. And believe it or not, there's crazy things like that where people start a company and uh, it just does not materialize, you know. So can anybody think of a company that you saw pop up and you thought, I don't get it. Is, is anything like that come to mind? What you got? A what? A candy shop. A candy shop, okay. Yeah, a candy shop. Right. Like the Mexican, like, paletas, which is, like, ice cream cones. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm like, that's so weird. There's, like, in the ghetto part of town. I was like... Did it work? Oh, yeah. He has a taco truck and everything. Oh. He's making big bucks, and I'm like, okay, I get it. I don't get it. That's the thing. I mean, like, I don't get it, and there's businesses that I don't get that work, you know? So, I mean... Business is a finicky thing, and that's why we need to test it. Multiple perspectives, you know, and I don't get the fact that kids like to watch other kids open toys on the Internet, you know. I don't get that, but it works. People are making millions of dollars posting videos, opening toys. I don't get that somebody wants to pour Orbeez in a pool and jump in it and post it on the Internet, and that makes a lot of money, but it does, you know. So, like, that we have these things that pop up, that we need to consider. And so writing a business plan, a good plan takes a long time to prepare. I would say you're looking at the six month to a year time frame to do a good one. A good executive summary catches interest and tempts potential investors to read on. Getting the plan into the right hands is almost as important as getting the right information in it. You need to be able to sell your business in a way that people believe in your product or service. You've got to be convincing in your delivery. You've got to want people, you've got to be able to make people want to buy your partner service. And so like, if you don't believe in it to that degree, to where like, I mean, I, there's just, there's so many ways you could do it. But like, if, when you describe your partner service, it, it needs to be like, this is life changing folks. I mean, like, I know you've had this, you've had partner service like this before. Here's why this is different. And, and so many times we don't talk about the value proposition. That's what it is. To the consumer, you need to explain to me why I want to do this. Like, we're talking about doing an event in the spring here. And there was, I've been to two meetings and we've talked about doing an event. But the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, tell me why I want to be a part of this event from a consumer standpoint. Why do I want to be a part of it? Sell it to me and say it in such a way that makes me not want to miss it. Can't miss this opportunity. So... Yeah, we need more of that kind of stuff. And if you're going to be in business, if you want to be highly successful, you got to have that. So here we go. Uh, Remus, God, they always give me the good names. Remus B, there we go, first used a wheelchair after fracturing his leg uh, and quickly became aware of the shoulder pain that can, uh, can result from constant pushing. To reduce the stress on his body, Mr. B and some partners devised the design row wheels a system that allows users to row rather than push their wheelchairs. Uh, row Wheels won the 2012 Wisconsin Governor's Business Plan Competition in the advanced manufacturing category. The company aims to relieve those who suffer from frequent shoulder injuries by providing them with the world's first truly therapeutic, therapeutic manual wheelchair. That is incredible. So, once again, I saw a comparable product, or not comparable, but uh, adjacent product, 
where they've got these tracks now that will lay down on the beach to allow people wheelchair access to the beach. Have you seen that? It's a set of lightweight like pathways that, that go out 40, 50, 60 feet onto the beach. So you can row out to the beach, on, I mean, row, roll out to the beach and not get stuck in the sand. I thought that was pretty cool. So there's opportunities everywhere. Keep that in mind. So uh, the, the parts of a business plan, cover letter, executive summary. Cover letter is like an introduction. The executive summary is kind of a very concise meat and potatoes of what we're talking about. Company background, how this idea came about, who's running it, the management team, the financial plan. Uh, this is, uh, can be very involved or not very involved, but generally what it takes to operate this business on a month to month and for over a year basis. Capital required, marketing plan. Marketing plan needs to be multifaceted. Um, here's the, the multi layers of marketing we're gonna do, not just one strategy. Uh, location analysis. Is this location gonna be optimal? Uh, how much traffic comes by here? You Once again, you can have a great business idea, put it in a bad location, it's not gonna be successful. Uh, manufacturing plans, if it's something that's gotta be created, how, when, where is that gonna happen? And then any appendices you have would be go in the back. So financing your small business, family and business associates are the most common source of funding. I caution you on that. Um, your family may be encouraged and fund you uh, one time. I mean, two times is a hard ass. Three times probably will not happen. And you can really put your family in a compromising situation if you're hitting them up for money to keep your business going. So um, not, not to say that doesn't, doesn't happen, but just be cautious about that. Banks and financial institutions, community development financial institutions or CDFIs, loan money provide counseling, especially for lower income communities trying to incubate business activity. So, a couple things before we break up for today. What to consider before starting a family business. Clarify expectations. What will each person be doing? You need to have that rock solid and make sure those expectations are, are known by everybody. And if someone's gonna be out for a day, make sure there's some type of rotation, you know, because resentment can build quickly, especially with family members. You would think it's, uh, with colleagues and coworkers, it happens, but if it's your family, you more easily will vocalize that and show that resentment. Um, discuss work family boundaries. What is the line that separates work from uh, personal relationship? If I'm in a business with my wife, we're at work and then we come home, are we still talking about work? Or if we have an argument or a discussion, a heated discussion at work, does that carry over to the house? It's something to think about. Evolve, changing with the times is essential for all business. If something is not working, you have to ask yourself honest questions. Is this business still viable? What do we need to change to make it still viable? Uh, do we need to consider closing our doors instead of keep pumping cash in this thing to keep it alive? Develop good communications. Agree about the types of decisions you'll make jointly and on your own. Clarify long-term intentions. <coughs> discuss, bless you, how long everyone will work full-time and, and goals for the business. Have an escape hatch. Remember I talked about, bless you. Ta taxes and exit strategy, have a plan B. If this does not work, how much can this damage our, our household? You know, if, if, if we uh, decide after years this is gonna work, are we gonna be $100,000 in debt or more? I mean, that's something you need to be honest about and uh, have a plan B. All right, guys, we'll take a time out here for today. Um, be sure to ch make sure you do chapter five homework. Chapter sh six should not be, uh, we won't have a chapter six. There'll be a test due next week on four, five, and six. 
Don't worry about that right now. Just focus on Chapter 5, and I'll see you guys next Tuesday, okay? Thanks, everybody. Have a safe weekend. Enjoy your concert tonight.